0: I'm Nicole Ashley Fletcher, and you are listening to Chapter 4 of A Grafting Story. Now, we have a conversation today uh, with two of my friends, Amy and Edek, and they are an exceptional couple. And actually, I got to meet with them in their home, around their table, in their dining room with three babies sleeping upstairs. And so their house is full, their family is full, and their hearts are full. And so they are two foster parents uh, living in the greater Toronto area and, um, I just really am so moved by their story. And actually, I think it's an interesting one um, for anyone who's married listening, uh, thinking about this process and thinking about even things like you and your spouse being on the same page. And I I just really, as I was talking to them, was so struck by how different Both of them are, not just in their personality and in what they would say uh, are their gifts and their strengths, but even the story of how God brought them to the place that they're in currently, married with biological children and foster children in their home together. And even in the middle of the process, how each of them uh, kind of sort out all the details of it. So I just really think you're going to enjoy this conversation, and I know I was really challenged and really inspired. So enjoy this conversation with my friends, Amy and Edek. Many of us see adoption simply as a way some choose to grow their family here on Earth. But God sees adoption as our divine heritage. How every person who claims Jesus as Savior and Lord becomes a member of the bloodline of heaven itself and becomes grafted into his family tree. So while this is the oldest story of all time, it's becoming new all over again for us. May it become so for you, too. I'm Nicole Ashley Fletcher. Welcome to a grafting story, a retelling of God's adopted family, and a new telling of ours. Hi, I'm Amy.
1: And I'm Eric. And this this is is our our grafting Grafting Story. story.
0: Well, thank you for being here. I yeah. feel like this is the first time that we've had a conversation. Uh,
2: know, this long? So, yes. Yeah, that's yeah. true. He's kind of like so behind wonderful. the scenes kind
0: of guy. Oh, I'm married to one of those, so yeah. I, I know what that's like. So yeah. I'm so glad to bring you out thank of you. The shadows. Here you are. I just put it here, baby. That's and, okay. It's mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that's it that's
1: okay. It's a change it's table. Good. Oh, you got one?
0: Yeah. Why did you put it it oh, doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> that's what
2: the change table in the dining room is for. So know, there you go. It's wiped down. It's a change table Slash. What do you call those things where you put all your dishes? Oh yeah. <laughs> what is it called? I don't know. A buffet or something. Yes, a exactly. Something. A buffet. Oh. Call it a buffet.
0: Well, I mean, Amy, we've had the privilege of serving together. Yeah. Uh singing together, getting to worship God together. Yep. And I know that it's been like I feel like it was Oh, uh, maybe like two years ago that we started having conversation yeah. about adoption. And I'm mean, like, we were kind of at the very beginning of our process, our whole process. Mm-hmm. And, and you were, you know, uh, uh, in the steps ahead. And so, you know, we started to kind of, I had like this little, probably like a wide eyed look as we were mm-hmm. talking so many times and just desperate to learn from you and just to hear what God is doing in your life and your yeah. family. And then fast forward, Uh, So much has changed for you and your family and all of the processes that you've been through. And then here we are around your dining room table slash buffet change table.
1: (laughs) Slash everything table.
0: Slash everything table with three babies napping Saving upstairs. upstairs. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that's that's quite that's quite a beautiful picture of where we are today. And mm-hmm. so why don't you just talk a little bit about who you are, what you do with your days
1: and oh, how you... you don't want to know about my days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and a little bit about how you ended up here in this picture that we have today.
2: Well, um, I think our story started like for fostering um, and respite way back when I was still single. Okay. So I guess it's my story at that point, but Mm -hmm. I was helping out in a home as a role model uh, with CAS that was helping kids transition from fostering and group homes at the time or residential care into independence because a lot of the times at the age of 18 they're left on their own. Right. So I was able to help uh, ages 16 up to 21 transition. And so I really was passionate about that. Um, I, I wanted to give them all of the skills that they needed, but also give them a safe environment to make mistakes. Mm. Um, and it was a lot of fun. And I had a lot of Yeah, like those four of the kids. So I had four beds. So four of the kids were involved in our engagement. Really? Um, Yes. Right. As Eric stood outside in the freezing cold on Valentine's Day, trying to get my attention. Ah. But I was dealing with four girls that didn't have boyfriends and who were (laughs) feeling like it was crappy because it was Valentine's Day and they were fighting with each other. Wow. So I'm trying to, like, put out all these fires of hormonal crabby girls that wish that they had boyfriends or were fighting with their boyfriends or whatever all four of them were at home and he's waiting outside texting me and my phone's up in my
1: and my battery's dying
2: yeah for an hour and a half or so Mm -hmm. and i'm dealing with all this cat fights and (laughs) all this stuff but it comes with the territory of like Just more rejection, more Mm. fear um, of being alone. And that's a common theme amongst Mm. kids that are in care. And uh, anyways, and so he then comes in, proposes to me. And so they were the first ones to know that we got engaged. It was quite, quite funny. I think that's my favorite engagement story maybe Mm -hmm. ever.
1: No, it wasn't funny. It didn't actually work out the way I wanted it to work out. (laughs) But... Yeah, she still said yes, so I guess. I
2: mean, so it kind of
1: worked. Yeah. So kind of worked yeah. out my <laughs> yeah. way. A yeah, so,
2: so really, I didn't even think about that. Like our story did start back way back then, and then uh, when we got married, unfortunately, they wouldn't allow Yedek to kind of move into the home because it was a girl's home, and right. and they just didn't see it being run by a couple. Um, so we then went into to Callinan and and ran a treatment home for we had four beds and in the time that we were newly married Mm -hmm. we had four beds and 27 kids come through our program so they came through our program because they were struggling in their homes not because they're they came through um breakdown of family it Mm -hmm. was because their behavior their dual diagnosis their emotional um just their emotional issues Mm. were causing strain on the family and so we were able to work short term with um we had two beds for short term and two beds for full term Mm. so full time so we had 27 kids come through our home so we're getting used to living together and being married
1: we actually got married sooner than we wanted to our regular day was in october and because we got this Calden Century House yeah. position or job or placement or whatever you want to call it, we got married in April.
2: Wow! Yeah. And, oh, that's like a that's so like we very did early. Yes. Yeah. So we did like so we got engaged on February fourteenth and married April twenty eighth. Wow. <laughs> like the quickest ever engagement, but we just we felt it was important that we were married before yeah. we mm-hmm. um, moved in together and and uh, then we had our big wedding that we had already pre-paid for planned and yeah. had the dress and all that stuff and so we joke around about how we've been married twice <laughs> so our second marriage the same woman a yeah bit. yeah so um, but then we had a big party and it, oh, was, nice. it was so fun. much fun it was because we had no relaxed. pressure yeah we were already married wow so yeah we had a nice candlelit service at the church and then and then uh, a big one later on for all our friends and family. And and it was fun. We actually were the last people to leave the, the wedding. So we cleared out the dance floor at yep. 3 o'clock in the morning. That's beautiful. Yeah, it was. So we helped about 27 kids in that program. Wow. And then we wanted to start our own family and, again, got told, you can't do it in this environment, which we were like, why? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, obviously we'll teach the kids, you know, how to be a part of our family because we never saw the kids, like, separated. Mm. Like, even if they were coming just for, like, a Tuesday night or every other weekend, um, we uh, treated them like they were our own Mm. Um, because that's what the kids sense that when that's not genuine or real. Um, And I think that that's what made our, you know, program successful. And just a question, because I mean, like for people who are listening or
0: even for for myself, like when I hear that and I know you and how genuine you are and how deep your heart is Mm -hmm. and how all of the convictions that you have just like you don't even have to think about it. It just pours out of you. It's not like you're trying to be authentic. You just are. Um, But what are some of the ways like even practically, like how do you create an environment like that where they where they actually can enter in into a place where they know that they are a part of a family
2: and it's not just like a rotating situation? Well, we, we try really hard. Like we tell our kids, um, that not, we can't treat every kid the same. Hmm. So this is a common theme in our home. And because that whole idea and concept of fairness And so we say to our kids all the time, like your strengths are your strengths and your weaknesses or your areas that you need to grow are your areas, not the same as the next person. So currently we have six kids and so we can't treat them all the same, but we treat them as individuals who have uniqueness to them. And so we always talk about that. So, like, when we get the line, which all kids say, oh, that's not fair. Well, (laughs) no, but, okay, so you want me to treat you like our 12-year-olds? Then, um, you know, you're going to have expectations that a 12-year-old should have. But you're only eight, so really, can you do what a 12-year-old is supposed to be able to do? Mm -hmm. And, like, so I think part of that is a huge part of how we parent because then they see themselves as an individual who is unique and has their own things that they need to deal with and work through, right? So we focus on that and Mm. we give that kid the attention and the areas of support that they need. And it differs from one child to the next, right? So even if they're biological children or if they're foster children, there's always that uniqueness, right? So for an example... um, Like, our 12-year-old will say, oh, the 8-year-old got this. And Mm -hmm. I'll be like, okay, again, do you want to be... Oh, she's now 9. Sorry. (laughs) She just turned (laughs) 9. And he's almost 13. So um, the 13-year-old will want to be treated like the Mm 9-year-old. And I'll be like, okay, well, then that means early bedtime. Like, you know, you just pick up certain things that apply to only that
1: 9-year-old, right? Mm -hmm.
2: You gonna see yes,
1: I'm going to say that, personally, being a parent first, before having more children in my own house or on my own, mm-hmm. helped.
0: Huh.
1: When we were at Century House, over 10 years ago, I felt more like a big brother than anything. Okay. Because it was, I, I mean, we literally got married, and then we had children that didn't belong mm-hmm. to us. and we took care of it mind you amy was the one that stayed at home all the time i was out working but i came home and i had kids yeah i'm like (laughs) okay how did i
2: get here we're we're we're, we're talking like dual diagnosed like behaviors that came like they would be breaking down their parents homes Mm -hmm. and like out of control behavior physical damage to the house like we're trained in like understanding and managing aggressive behavior, which is like you can perform restraints, which personally I'm a, I love the hands off approach. Mm-hmm. And I think, but you focuses a lot on that. Okay. Um, how to kind of deescalate a kid who's starting to struggle. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge part of that training. So that helps, but, um, we're a very hands off kind of program. And, uh, so a lot of, Meeting the kid where they're at is really big. I kind of lost my train of thought.
1: That's okay. So, what did you just say? I said that at the beginning. I, yeah. I became a big brother. I, yeah. I didn't feel like a parent. It wasn't a parenting thing to me because I didn't know what a parent is like because I didn't have kids of my own.
2: Yeah. Huh. Oh, so this the difficulty of these children. It was. It was. They were difficult. Mm. Very difficult. But we found a way to connect with each one. Again, back to that uniqueness, right? So um, one of the girls sticks out to me. She was was 13. And her mom and her had a lot of conflict. And so she came to us because the mom was not able to manage her behavior. So when you sit down and simply just ask a kid... Mm. What is the stumbling block? What is the the what is stopping you from having that relationship with your mom? People don't ask. They wow. just make assumptions or try to figure out what the triggers are. But you if you just simply say, Okay, why do your mom and you not get along? Maybe you do it over, you know, a special drive to Tim Hortons, because we were like twenty minutes away from the nearest store oh, at wow. the time, right? <laughs> like we were our neighbors were like like a a field of horses. Right. So we're in the middle of nowhere. So we would take time to like drive and talk with these kids and just simply asking. And, and she's like, well, my mom comes home and she's so stressed from work and she doesn't have time for me. And I want to sit and talk with her and she doesn't give me that time. And so then I thought, okay, well, what is your mom doing? Hmm. And she's like, well, my mom is making dinner. I said, okay, let's teach you how to cook. Then you can make dinner your mom comes home, she's not stressed anymore, dinner's on the table, and then you can have that dinner together, talk about your day, talk about her day, and then your conflict will go away mm. because her needs are met, your needs are met, and you can mm. meet each other and talk, and she, you know what, It. she loved to cook, and she loved, you know making different meals in our home with me and that's all I did with her so she would come like twice a week to our home after school and I would teach her how to cook and we would talk about you know strategies to help with her behavior when she got upset but more so we would talk about communication and Mm -hmm. how that's such a big thing yeah but if kids don't learn that then they are never going to just pick that up. No. They have to learn that, right? That is the crazy part. I mean, as
0: a parent now, I have a five-year-old who's crazy. And that really realizing, and I remember reading something that talked about that, you know, like being a father or being a mother as like this identity piece is, is forever. It's the course of your life. But this parenting job is actually time sensitive (laughs) Like, actually like there is a growing up process that happens in the lifespan of a human being and there's this growing up that requires like active parenting to help shape a person and you think about like communication skills being able to like solve problems being able to I know I mean that concept of like being a unique person is sadly missed Mm -hmm. and so just even, like, those foundational skills as kids grow up to be a person mm-hmm. um, is everything that, like, now she'll need yeah. to go on and continue and so, look at problems in a different way or identity right. in a way that she would have never learned before.
2: So I always often, the advice I give to parents is parent your kids the way you would parent a teenager, Right. Because, and I know that sounds weird because you wouldn't just leave a two-year-old on their own, (laughs) but you use natural consequences Mm. because that's how you parent a teenager. You can't say, oh, I'm taking this away or I'm doing this or whatever, because it doesn't typically work for teenagers, but natural consequences do. And sometimes it takes a while for them to learn that lesson, right, naturally, Um, but you give that patience like it's not about winning in the moment or the power struggle you remove all of that right so with a two-year-old you teach them independence but you teach them communication you let natural consequences kind of you know safely uh, teach them how to have that right so um like you know, if you're going to hit, like the twins right now, they're big into hitting right now. <laughs> it's like, As two-year-olds right? <laughs> so, So, you know, so when the one two-year-old hits the other two-year-old, like because they are either laughing or beating each other up, that's kind of what <laughs> twins really are what, like. What it yeah. Right, it's that cut and dry. So, you know, if the one boy hits the other boy, the natural consequence is that boy is probably going to get it back. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you hit, you're going to be hit. And I mean, we would never hit like we're not going to do that as parents. But if he's going to treat his brother like that, mm-hmm. then the brother is most likely. I mean, you can redirect and say, OK, gentle hands, we don't hit. But they're not going to grasp that concept. But when he goes to hit his brother and the brother whacks him back, that's yeah. when he learns, oh, that's what that feels like, you know, yeah. kind of thing. I, I don't know. That's just something we're dealing with right now with. With
1: almost two-year-olds. They're, they're I mean, little even for our son. He, our son Liam did not want to listen. Uh, we were walking once when he was maybe three.
2: Yeah, in the mall.
1: In the mall, right. And he was walking towards a sign or yeah. something. and We're telling him, stop. Stop. He's not listening He's not to listening. us,
2: so we just stopped.
1: And he walked straight into it. <laughs> and we're like, okay, well, next time when we say stop... That I mean, you stop. try,
2: you tried. I mean, this was, he was more than three. He was probably was, four was or five. He still. was old enough <laughs> to know and, and he would not pay attention to mm-hmm. his surroundings. And my biggest fear at that time was that he would run onto the road and get hit by a car. Cause like, that's how impulsive he was. And he was quick and always moving. Like he's still like that. And, uh. So and I did that. But then the next time we said stop, he stopped. Wow. Right? Because it wasn't... Because we could explain it so we're blue in the face. But okay. not that I'm encouraging you to let your kids walk nope. into signs. No. We need to put that disclaimer. It <laughs> I'll, just, put that, I'll put that asterisk in my show notes. <laughs> no, yes, this is not, not good believe. parenting advice. But <laughs> the concept of the natural consequences, like we tried to stop him. He was way ahead of us because that was his... And, you know, even to this day, he's 11. He still needs to learn his way. Hmm. Like we can talk till we're blue in the face, but he's not going to pick it up until he figures, oh, when I do that, that's the reaction I'm going to get. Right. And that's what I mean by parenting them like they're teenagers, because when they're teenagers, it's almost too late. Like you can't really because they're moving into that independence. I want to be. You know, you're here to like service me is what teenagers kind of are like, you know, I need a drive or I need 10 bucks. That's the kind of parenting role that kind of turns. Anyway, so we're newly married and we get a 17 year old full and time. So, and and so uh, just help me understand the
0: narrative of the story and where we, we are in the arc. Like, so you so have, we're, so you've moved
2: out of uh Caledon. No, we're in Caledon. Oh, you're still, in Caledon still. So okay. we're still, sorry, I'm all over the place. No, it's great. Our it's, journey is like. I know. That's why I'm just being sure I'm a Yeah, the right no, spot. we don't have any 17 year olds living in our house, but this is pre our own biological children. Hmm. We're now parenting this 17 year old and. Edek and I were like, what do we get into?
1: (laughs) Mind you, more me than Amy, because Amy at least had the experience in child and youth work. Sure. Where I have a business degree and I'm like, and, and my biggest experience with kids is having my nieces over that you know, by the left after a couple of hours and that was it. <laughs> yeah, it's
2: yeah. the best, that's the best <laughs> <Right>? case scenario. <laughs> yeah, he was, learn- he was like learning as he was going through the fire kind of thing. But so now we have like a full-time, you know, teenager and he, so we have to learn, like, so we're learning to be parents as we're doing treatment at the same time. And I think... I think because, you know, I, I've always worked with kids since the time I was 12. I used to clean a daycare as part of my job, right? Wow. So I've always been involved with kids my whole life. And, and that's always been my passion. IREC was more like of a numbers kind of introvert kind of just stay at home where it's nice and comfortable (laughs) not really it is quite comfortable here I mean yeah (laughs) (laughs) but he's more like that and I'm more like okay give me a room full of kids I I love that I thrive on that right so um anyway so we are learning to be parents we're learning to deal with extreme behaviors and Yarek is working a full day and then coming back and and you know but you know, big, I think a big brother, well, he's got yeah. the gifts of help. So, huh. um, that works in that, right. Cause there's always something that he can do to kind of help those kids feel better about themselves. And whether it's, you know, playing basketball with them or going on a hike with them or like, he's very good with that. And I think that makes him very good at being a foster parent right? Um, and a parent too. But, yeah. And I'm curious because you talked about that. And, and then so,
0: so fast forward, you have Liam and... Eloise. Eloise mm-hmm.
2: And you're continuing to foster. We mm. didn't at that point. So we moved out of the century house. To um, pick a rink? Yeah, once. So the, each kid that came into our treatment program, it was time Either it was a year we would work with them or three months. So mm-hmm. as soon as our 17-year-old was done his time with us, because we didn't want to end in the middle of the treatment, mm. right? So we made the decision that we were going to buy a house and and uh, start our own family. And again, not being able to do that in that program, we bought a house in Pickering and then... I went to work for the corporate world which I mean it was still in the s- social science field like still helping people in the counseling field and Hi. using my degree at that point and um, not my child and youth work diploma and I did that for eight years while we had two kids and so we were just parenting two of our own kids well at this point we're used to we're used to extreme behaviors, so parenting was had its challenging, but challenges, but it was...
1: It wasn't as hard.
2: No, it wasn't. Because it was like getting to know what kids are like and what they need and their needs being met and, and also helping them from an emotional side yeah. help us to be better listeners to our kids as well. And I think that that's the main thing, like being a good listener... Not just hearing what someone says, but active listening to them. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I hear what you're saying. I'm acknowledging. I'm validating what you're saying. And let's figure out how we can help you, right? And mm-hmm. help you communicate better, help you deal with what you're dealing with, whatever. So anyway, so the corporate world um, had its its ups and its downs and and very money-focused, which is also something I'm not. Mm-hmm. So... I get at. Really? Because off. I hear that child and youth work, you just make millions. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah,
0: totally. <laughs> Isn't that, yeah, yeah. why you, you get know, into
2: it? That's why we <laughs> have all, like, reused furniture. <laughs> yeah, it's all about that, right? Hand me downs. So we'll take them. Um, the c- eclectic kind of style. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, anyways, so, should have uh, muted those. Um... <clears throat>
1: Then we got to Whitby. So I got a position in Whitby. Uh,
2: So I get laid off after we moved
1: moved to Whitby. Yeah. So he
2: he got a job in Whitby. We bought we went from the townhouse to the bigger house. Yeah. Yeah. And then I got laid off. And I felt like it was a good thing because so my son had to draw a picture of his family for school. And he drew, I think I've told you this, he drew a picture of dad playing baseball with him, which is his favorite sport, and me driving in a car to go to work. And that was our family. So, like, talk about... And I'm, I'm a very hands-on, always present oh, kind yes. of mom. And so, you know, like, our phones are not in front of us when we're with kids. They're put aside. Mm. They're uh, We wait... Until they're in bed before the TV goes on and we sit and veg, right? Like, Mm. we're very focused and not that I don't want to make anyone feel guilty if they do have their phones always in front of them, but we're very present. So I was a very present parent, but I worked shift work and I was on call all the time. And so my kids would go a week without seeing me at night because I was working a 3 to 11 shift in in, uh, an employee assistance program And, um, anyway, so I was like, God, I can't do this, but Mm. I, I'm close to burnout if I hadn't already hit burnout and I need you to lay me off. (laughs) I did. I need you to lay me off and not that I was going to do anything so that it would be performance based, Mm. but I just prayed that prayer. And literally two weeks later, I got a package for five months of severance and, And, um, I got to be a stay at home mom because, you know,
1: for our kids,
2: for our kids. Mm. And then, then I was like, I don't want to go back to that world. I don't Mm. like the corporate world. like, it's so, um, money focused, bottom line, people are numbers. They're not people. And, and I was a manager, I was in a people manager role and I did my best to make each person feel like that unique kind of feel. But what a great opportunity, though, like like when you think about everything that you've been saying about each of
0: our unique yes. sets of gifts and skills and personhood that you obviously have such a unique personhood and gift set and calling and all those things and how it like rubbed up against this experience mm-hmm. in uh, in business that like forced you to ask some questions about what was next, yeah, right? That yeah. you weren't just going on the way that you'd always gone on. you kind of had this experience that like rubbed up against all the things that you value, yeah, so much. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even to the point of praying a prayer like that, I mean, well, it was the only
2: way I could <laughs> how did see Eric it? feel about that? <laughs> So, I don't think he knew about it until after.
1: I no, I mean, I, just, no. I,
2: I cleaned up my desk. I got rid of all my personal effects. So when I got laid off, I literally grabbed my purse and left. And I was like, I don't need anything there. Cause I had already, I knew within my heart that God was going to follow through. on she that.
1: She was talking about being laid off. She said, I believe it's coming. I think it's coming. And huh. she was bringing stuff back from work. Like she said from her desk. Uh, but the job was burning her out. It was mm-hmm. visible on her. Mm. It was stressful on her. And so it was just, you know, when you're used to a certain paycheck every single month in your bank account or money at the end of the day kind of thing. And suddenly it's like, hmm, well, we got to rethink what we're doing and how we're spending what we have kind of thing
2: well we had just doubled our mortgage right. bought a double oh, double the size of right our on house right on time, right on time. To, literally <laughs> two like and it was right by my birthday and it was like like they say in the business world you don't lay off in December. so i i got mine my notice like on november 30th like right on the cusp of you know that wow that time but It was funny because the thing that made me sad when I was laid off was the pictures of my kids on my work phone, which I was like, for two seconds, I got upset. And then I was like, oh, it's in the cloud. (laughs) So (laughs) thank God for the cloud. You know, so then I was like, I'm like getting the spiel and I'm not even listening because I knew I trusted that God had a purpose for that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like sending myself text messages of all my photos of wow. the kids. And then, you know, so it, like, there's an element of you go down different pathways and they all connect. Like, it doesn't, it's like a mosaic. They're all broken pieces and broken pathways. And then, and then eventually you see the picture that God puts together of all the different pieces that turn into this beautiful. Opportunity, right? And it's like you see all the hurt that you go through through life, and all like the oh, you have to leave this program, you have to leave this program, this job is now done. And then you're like, well, what am I supposed to do with this, right? Because I did go through a bit of an identity issue. Like once the burnout was fixed, I just said to you, like, I can't help but think that I need to be back in fostering again because. I want to be home and I want to use my home because now we have this mortgage, which money, again, I trust God to provide. And he does. And he provides even in our greed. Like that's how generous he is. Right. And he really doesn't care about money. Money is like a side thought. For him, he provides regardless of how much you want, Because it's not just about your needs it's about your wants and your heart's desires so we're in this point where it's like what do we do and so you know our house is big enough we had an empty bedroom because we were even contemplating another child right biologically another child and then I was like no this room is not meant for that it's it's meant for fostering and um And so I got told no by my workplace, which they said, oh, so I should cycle back. So um, we went to an organization uh, to learn about fostering and they heard about all of my skill set and my experience and my um, just experience with foster kids and also treatment and, and my knowledge about trauma and all that stuff. And they're like, we want you to, we want to hire you as a foster home supervisor, and (coughs) so, so, and it's a stay-at-home kind of job (coughs) where you work in the community, but your your main place is the home. So, you know, my kids go to school. I'm the last person they see before they leave, and then the first person they see when I get home, when they get home, and then I, I work when they're not around, Um, and it worked. But I still had this yearning and longing for fostering. And at the time, Ildak's journey, he was a little bit on the fence. Like, Yeah, because like, I'm curious
0: even for you. You know, yeah. you come from this background. You're just newly married. You have this experience that is difficult. It was, I mean, yeah. I mean yeah. like, like being newly married and adjusting to being a couple is already hard. And then you add in all those additional variables. And so, like, what was this even like from your perspective?
1: Well, the beginning was hard. Uh, then you just kind of get used to it. I, well, I mean, there's not, well, I mean, once you're there, you either make it work or you don't make it work. Mm. So you, um, I mean, I, I think because I immigrated from Poland to Germany to Canada as a young child. So between I was seven when I left Poland and I was 12 when I got here, you just have to adjust. So that's what I did. I adjusted. That's, that's all there is to it. I don't think there's anything to add to that.
2: But mm-hmm. he's a very nurturing, loving, I can be. caring,
1: <laughs> caring
2: person. I, okay.
1: Yes. I mean, my. He I mean, has.
2: I mean, we all have our, our, our qualities when we're not the best self that we can be. And so, you know, when you're not in a good place, we always have our things that we struggle with. I, I mean, think I mean, like flexibility, though, is
0: is like is one of the primary yeah. characteristics of parenting. It is. Yeah, you have I mean, to be. Yeah. But
1: you know what? This the reality was that this is what we're doing. So you just get on the program. Just like if you move from one country to another, this is the differences now. So what am I doing? I'm talking with my hands. <laughs> well, you're that's banging. Okay. That's okay. I'm a
0: hand talker too. I,
1: and I, so. He's
2: banging on table.
1: You know, it, it, <laughs> I, I I think even Amy said that once to me. I I was, uh, my world was shocked. Like, you know, I was a mommy's boy living with my parents till the day before we got married. And then suddenly we have kids, right? 17 year olds. not
2: just kids. Kids with behavioral right. issues. Right.
1: I mean, and you know, the first one, 17 years old, that's. 11 years or 12 years older than us when we got married. but I mean, the difference, a decade, is not a lot of we time. We were older yeah. than
2: him, you mean. He was Right. Older, yeah. yeah. So, That's so crazy. Yeah.
1: It's, and you just
2: and he's, get he, on the program. And the thing is, is he was taller than me. He was bigger than me. Like, he was yeah. this huge, yeah, he like, was almost huge tall as me. presence. And we, it's funny because the residential program he came from, was on the same property that we worked in, right? And lived in. And so we would see him before he came into our home, running around the fields with staff chasing him. And so we knew when he got upset, he would run. Well, he tried pulling that on me. So I just locked the front door. And so (laughs) I, but I watched him through the window because I'm like, I'm not running after you, buddy. Like, this is gonna change. This behavior is gonna change. And I'm gonna do it in a in a in in a way that is gonna be safe, right? So, you know, he sees that I'm not following him. So he sits on the front porch and he's like What's going on? <laughs> Why isn't she following me? And I was like, in inside, I'm like laughing because I see him like just with this look of like confusion. Like, what? They're supposed to chase me in the field, right? Because that's what he was coming from. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was like, I'm not going to chase you. And then he goes to come back in and the door's locked. So he now has to ring the doorbell. Oh, my. So that took another, like, 20 minutes for him to wake up the my, in, my
0: internal teenager is stressed to listen right? to this story.
2: <laughs> but, I, but I just said, but I said to him, like, no, no, no. Like, I'm taking the power away from this struggle, right? Like... You're, you want to run because you don't want to deal with the issue that's at hand. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to chase you, so I'm not going to have that power struggle with you, right? Sure. So then he rings the doorbell, and I'm like, yes. And he's like, can I come in? I'm like, sure. Would you like to go into the kitchen and wait for me? Because I'm not quite ready yet to talk about what just happened. So he's waiting in the kitchen, and I'm watching from, like, because it was an old century house, so... There's like separate rooms so I could like sneak on him without him knowing. And he's like in there stressing, like, what have I done? How am I going to get out of this? Anyway, so then I just calmly go over to him and I said, that's your old person that used to do that. We're not doing that. That's not the way to deal with this conflict, right? We're going to talk it out. We're going to talk about our needs. We're going to talk about what you want and need in that moment so that I can help you get that without the shenanigans of running around so he never ran again and he but it's like sometimes you've got to have that patience and use I use humor a lot you have to and <laughs> that's right a lot yeah. because it takes away for the, sometimes it doesn't so don't always think that humor is the right answer but for me the way that I parent and the way we parent is we don't want to constantly be fighting with each other. We want to have that open relationship, right? So anyways. So you enter back into fostering. Well. Willingly? Unwillingly? Well, (laughs) so so it was hesitantly. So I'm working full time as a foster home supervisor and I get this boy that tells me that he is not, wanting to stay where he's currently living and hmm. and,
1: and this is what 2017?
2: 2017 2017 right. so I'm already nagging at my employer to say look I'm I want to foster you said I could foster I've given it this job a year can we at least start the process start doing relief for other homes hmm. and um, actually we got screened to help out uh, a friend from from our church. To to do relief for one of their girls. And uh, and anyway, so this boy basically asked us to come live with us. And this was, you know, it will be three years in September, but he was coming from four homes in five months. That's how many placement breakdowns he had. And he will admit and own that it was all on him because he had zero trust for adults. And he was told by his, his natural mother to make a fuss and to kick and scream and to break down walls and literally break down walls mm. and to not accept the life that, that they had to offer. So when he made the choice to come live with us, we're like, okay, right, fine, we'll try. So, you know, the cautionary work, you know, is like, well, let's do an, a trial and we were able to stabilize him and all these behaviors that he had that were extreme, like strangling kids, breaking arms, fighting, you know, just being very violent. Mm. He came into our home, that stopped immediately. And and I contributed to an open line of communication, trust was there. He chose, Hmm. right? And these kids can't always choose where they go, Hmm. but they can choose how they live while they're living in a home, right? So, like, you may not choose which home you go to, but you can choose if you're going to accept it or reject it. And that's what we always focus on is you can choose to leave if you don't love living here. Hmm. I'm not going to change how we run our home. You're coming into our family. We're not adapting to Mm. you and we will love you and accept you and we will fight for you and we will give you what you need Mm. we'll give you more than you need we'll give you experiences you will be loved but you have to choose whether you are a part of this family or
1: not mind you it wasn't easy at the beginning I mean what Amy said is correct but there were still struggles I mean yeah well having
2: two Going from two
1: kids to three kids, right? I mean, uh, eating habits. I mean, it oh, sounds yeah. simple, but the no first vegetables. No, no vegetables, no vegetables, right? Parents knows exactly. That
0: food is not
2: simple.
1: Oh. So the first time, uh, I our made foster stir fry, stir fry <laughs> our <laughs> oldest foster son was sitting there for I don't know over an hour, tantrum, <laughs> tantruming like, about vegetables. It was just like
2: screaming, yelling. You know, I am not eating it.
1: So our biological children ate their dinner. Amy walked to the table and I'm sitting there beside him just just literally like this waiting <laughs> for him to finish. And I'm trying to be encouraging and, you know, it's okay. It's just greens and red, whatever. Just eat it, man. Just eat <laughs> it. It was funny
2: because it. it was mostly things he liked. So it had like pineapple in it that I knew he liked. It had chicken in it that I knew he liked. And it had like one... There were seven different vegetables in there, but only one of each. And I let him like, <laughs> one
0: of each, I love it. Yeah, like so I let
2: gracious. him like choose one that he didn't want to eat. Right. So, anyways, long story short is 45 minutes later, we're saying this is dinner. Right. You know, you, this is what you have. And he did eat it. And now he eats it without the tantrum, but it took forever for it, him right. to eat healthy without tantrums like control is huge for kids that come into care and food is the easy way to control things right what I eat and what you you know offer like I will control whether I eat it or not that's right and as a parent to see them not eat it it's hard but eventually and you I always say try it 10 times you'll you'll like it Keep trying it 10 times. Just try it once, right? You'll like it. And if you need to spit it out, spit it out. That's why I was spitting out. Just try it. He doesn't like vegetables, but he will eat them. Wow. Now,
0: I mean, there's so many questions I have to ask you (laughs) left. Um, But I'm curious about, you know, we all have like an internal drive, of some of the things that feel like this is why I'm doing this or this is why, or this is the most important thing to me. And, you know, as a parent, like, no matter what age of children, we all have the things that are most important to us. Or, you know, you obviously have, like, both of you have enough experience that you have, like, longevity so you can see, like, oh, actually, I have these experiences in the bank that I know. You put in the hard work, mm-hmm. you set a vision, you set some goals, there will be improvement, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're at the beginning, sometimes it feels like, I don't know how this is going to end up. Yeah. And so, so what are some of the reasons, and I, I would imagine that maybe they're the same or different for either of you, that fostering is something that you continue to do.
1: Go ahead, Annie. You first.
2: Since it's my main force yes. of drive and passion. Um, first off, kids that are in the fostering world don't choose to be, and they always feel like another other because they're taken away from their parents and that is so traumatic just that alone forget all the previous neglect and abuse and reasons for why they are taken away and brought into a place of safety um they don't deserve that life but I believe you can't change that but you can choose to heal and it is on you to choose to heal Mm. and so Moving to the next journey where you're moving forward away from where you came from. And that piece I want to be a part of. I want, see, I am very passionate about um, bringing kids to a place of healing and also back to their families, Hmm. right? And some of them can't go back to their families because of, uh, the court's decisions. Um, and so adoption is an awesome opportunity for people to adopt kids that have, that are not allowed to go back. And, and in some ways there's a lot of joy there, um, when they get to be adopted, because it is a very different life that they will have. Um, but with our eldest, he was going into, Um, extended society like he was extended society care when he came to us Mm -hmm. no family involved in his life Mm -hmm. but now through pushing to learn about his story family is coming back and he always says to us you will never be my family because you're not biologically connected to me wow so so teaching him that family is who you choose, not just the biological connection. Now, he's a unique one because his the way he's put together, he's very literal. Hmm. So when you say the word family, he takes it from a literal sense. A lot of children don't see it that way. Interesting. He does. So that's why we were like, oh, we can't move to that adoption phase for hmm. him. Because he only sees family as biological. So we need to help him get back to that family. And so that is the journey that God has brought us. Because a lot of people will say, well, why aren't you adopting him? And I would be like, because there's something in my heart that tells me I can't. Hmm. Whether it's connection or lack of connection. But I just knew that our journey was to heal him. And that's what we're passionate about, right? Like I have all this experience and... Ways to be able to... Well, the best is, and this is what also motivates me to continue to do what I do, is when a kid who knows the old one, the old self of this boy, says to me, I want to change like he did Wow! because it's possible, because I've seen it in him. And for us to do that in two and a half years... I mean, a lot of it, 90% of it is just him doing that change. Mm -hmm. Um, 90% is him doing that change and us just walking alongside him. Mm -hmm. But that's what motivates me to keep doing the fostering. Because I think foster parents sometimes get a bad rap because they are not seen about like, I think this society, and a lot of shows now have mm. lots about fostering, but it from a negative, huh. right? Like, oh, they, they foster for the wrong reasons or whatever. But I see it as, like, being in this world and being a foster parent, I see it as, like, one of the best roles. Because you can help a kid become their best self and then help them move to their forever place. Mm. And that journey is so important. That healing stage is so important because a lot of adoptive families, and I never even knew this happened, but some people return kids when they've adopted them because they don't have the skills necessary to work through the garbage that they have to weed out of mm-hmm. to be able to attach themselves and be a part of a forever family. Mm-hmm. And that's why fostering is such a significant role, because we can do that with them without the, um, like, I'm trying to word it properly, but we can help them get to that point of readiness. Yes. And I think that that is so, so important. And uh, our little ones, um, they're still attached to their family and And lots of prayer goes into that Mm -hmm. because there's, there's fears there too. There's fears about, are those parents ready to be parents or Mm -hmm. are they going to fall back into the same routine that they were in before? Mm -hmm. Right. That's the fear of what I do, but I do it for that reunion. And it's, you know, it's so exciting because our eldest is going to be having that reunion like, soon, like, Monday. Wow. And yeah. So, first time in, like... Six years. Six years. No. hmm Oh, yeah. Almost seven years. Wow. That he's seen them. And he is going to have that reunion. And I get to be a part of that, and Yara gets to be a part of that, and we get to help him, you know? So. Yeah. I I think that that's why I do this, because I know, I, I know God prepares some to adopt, mm-hmm. and God prepares some to help yeah. along that path and that mosaic concept, right? Of those different pathways that are all broken and full of fear and and uh, just brokenness and hurt and rejection and abandonment and um, just all that stuff can paint a good like you know become a part of a bigger more beautiful piece if that makes sense
0: absolutely i
2: went all over the place but hopefully no, i proved my point very much and i'm
0: i'm curious because you know it like you talk about the transition like in your childhood and just in the in your marriage it's like all these monumental seasons of your life mm-hmm. have to do with adapting mm-hmm. and i think that like if we're honest no matter where we come from like we've all had experiences of like what like what do i know is going to happen tomorrow like do you know what i mean mm-hmm. that like the, the, you that that's yeah. a false idea that we have this idea of what our life is going to look like right. but that the skills of adapting when something comes and so i'm curious out of this process you know because one of the things that i'm always curious about is how that impacts how you see the world differently now who you are because um i think one of the tricky lies that i have heard many times that is well-meaning but i think can can short change the fullness of of this process is you know like edek and amy like you guys are so amazing for what you're doing for these kids is only half of the story And so I'm curious, like, what are the ways that out of these relationships, like these aren't peripheral relationships, like these are children, unique and individual, like you said, living in your home, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, a part of your family Mm -hmm. sitting around the dinner table.
2: How has that changed you?
1: Have I changed?
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're not so closed off to the idea of
1: it. So fostering was never my passion. Hmm. Uh, but I personally think and my wife can correct me if she wants to uh, but I'm a, I like helping people overall mm. and I also think that I'm good as a support person filling up things that are missed by Amy so I, mm. I think Amy does the big things and I patch up the little cracks that, <sighs> that Amy does not fill yeah. I think that's, that's what I do um,
2: His strengths are not my strengths. No, we're complete
1: opposites, yeah. complete opposites. Complete um, opposites. Has it changed me? I think personally, it has opened up my eyes to the fact you know, we always hear about kids in India or Africa, starving children, you know, bad things happening to kids. But you never think about the fact that stuff is happening here in Durham region uh, sexual trade with kids or, whatever, yes. or kids being hit, abused, and so forth. I'm not going to cry. I'm just I'm losing air. Or neglected, right? So the fact that you have an individual that comes to your house that has been abandoned at the age of six or earlier, and here we are, and you're trying to fix them.
2: Many families, like 11 homes that he's lived in. Right. Mm. 11. I and mean, he came to us at 10.
1: And then you think, how can, I, how, how can we as a family unit fix? And it's not easy. I mean, we've we've struggled, and you know, like in every marriage, we have our stressors and our fights, and then we start raising not our only only our own children, but not our own children, and we're trying to do the best as we can. So, have I changed? Yes, I have. He has more gray hair. I have more gray hair. <laughs> I don't know if I have more anger. The anger is different now. The mm-hmm. frustrations are different. I mm. I used to have a lot of patience. I think I still have that patience. Yeah, I'm so, not saying anything so, positive so, here. It's so not good. But, things that see, one changed. of our one
2: of our opposites <laughs> is I'm an optimist. I'm not yeah. a, I'm a, pessimist. a pessimist. He is a pessimist. I'm a realist. You High five on that. You know what? Optimists, <laughs> optimists are actually the realists because they see both sides. Pessimists only see you know what's, what's going to go wrong in this moment. And you know what
1: I do? I think about, I always imagine the worst what's case scenario. Happen? Yeah. <laughs> And I prepare myself mentally. I'm like, okay, this is going to happen. How am I going to react to this? What am yes. I going to do? What should I say? What should I not say? Should I just run the other way and let Amy deal with it? And, yeah. it's, and it's not easy for me to deal with, as Amy calls it, the garbage that comes along yeah. with, with what these children have yeah, experienced. With
2: the responsibility
1: of raising them. Right. It's, yeah. So right now, most of the bad stuff, we are dealing with our oldest one we have well, two bad
2: stuff you bad. mean like the repetitive flush the toilet oh my gosh clean up yourself so- but, but some of that is just a teenage just boy right it's behavior yeah so you know what funny but, thing is but some of it's hard like last night when we're sitting and having dinner and he turns to us and says i don't love any of you or i don't love i don't love people mm-hmm. and my response to him is not to get offended by that although Mm. I do have my human moments but I will say to him you know what bud like we use humor by saying oh you better not ever get a girlfriend because if you imagine sitting across from her and saying (laughs) I don't love you (laughs) I'll never love you I don't love anyone but this is his hurt talking so then I'll say to him you know what bud you just don't know that what you feel is love and that's where you're going to have to learn. Right. You do love us. You do care about us because if you know, like because then, you know, another day comes along and we're sitting watching a TV show and the mom on the TV show passes away and he turns to me and he says, I would be really sad if you passed away. I would really miss you. And then you're like, how is that not love? Like, he won't identify it as love. He doesn't identify us as family. And yes, does that hurt? Sometimes it does. Because why am I picking up after him Hmm. and, you know, fighting him on putting deodorant on to a kid who can't reciprocate the feelings you feel for him? It does does get at you. And that's the reality of right. of adoption and, and fostering. fostering and raising a child that's not biologically yours, but even biologically yours. Children can say I don't love you. Sure can. And they they do say that. But it's like you've gotta still do it regardless as we hear a baby crying who yes. you may maybe the need top. to go that's and that's right.
1: get. You know what the biggest changes for me personally is I, I was tied to my family because I had to because of growing where I grew up. My parents uh, went to Germany a year ahead of myself and my brother. Mm-hmm. So I was tied with my grandparents.
2: Well, so he knows what it, that feels I, I like. I know what,
1: it's not, it wasn't abandonment, it was but just it feels like, like, it feels like it, right? Yeah. But the biggest change I think is acknowledging and knowing that, and Amy uh, mentioned that family is not blood, family is who you, who, who you choose to be or who comes into your life. Mm. Right, family is not just your mother, your father, your potential brother, but a biological.
2: And you know what? While you go get the baby, because you need to go get, don't knock on the <laughs> table. It's, the poor microphone's me like. It's okay. Pull, 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 Pull. Pull. Um, but speaking about family, like we foster, but our extended family fosters too because, like, you know, on Facebook, my dad will say, "I have four granddaughters." Or five granddaughters, sorry. He has four biological, but he'll say, I have five granddaughters. And, you know, we haven't adopted these children, but while they're in our family, they're his grandkids yeah. and he treats them like that. And, wow. and so does my mom. And so do, do my sisters and his, you know, ex family as well, like, they become like they're only here for a moment right they're only ours for a moment but we have the option of showing them love acceptance what a family's purpose is for safety and you hope that instilling in that even at a young age like these babies came to us they were they were so neglected that they couldn't even sit up at 12 months old. Mm -hmm. They couldn't even eat solid foods. Like we had to teach them the year of growth and development in, in a year and teach them how to be a two year old when they were in so many ways, a newborn.
0: Wow. And now, I mean, the only last, I mean, there's many things I'm curious about, but, um, Your biological children, who I've gotten to see a little bit, you know, run around the church at different times. Um, You know, how how does this impact them? Like you talk so much about open communication, and
2: you know, and they might not be long drives to Tim Hortons with them, but how? Oh, there's drives to Tim Hortons with them. Yeah, you you'd be surprised. Like you can get any kid to talk in a car ride. Like you just you know leave the electronics at home. And you'd be surprised what kind of conversations you can have, but, um, or drives to like ballet or Hmm. baseball. Like, so Edek and I made a point that our core family, so, you know, we call that our like core family. Um, not that we separate from the larger family, Mm -hmm. but... Uh, It's our responsibility to make sure that they are getting the childhood that that they need and the development that they need. Um, So we have moments in every week where it's just the four of us. Hmm. And sometimes it's, you know, the babies are napping upstairs or we put them to bed. And so we have moments and we have heart to hearts. And every night before bed, Irek or myself or both of us have one to one time with every kid. And that time is what, you know, what is your high? What is your low? What are things you would change about today? That's when you hear about things that are going on in their life or, um, you know, and in the morning, my guys come into my room and um, we have like, hey, how are you, you know, how's it going? That those touch bases and. You know, they'll like, but I also physically know what my kids look like when they need extra mommy time or extra daddy time. And Mm -hmm. like, it's, it's a matter of a look or a glance or, or even just, you know, being quiet off to the side where you have to. So knowing that about them is really key Mm -hmm. and then bring them in. But it's funny because Eloise was like, when she got asked, how ready are you for fostering? She said nine out of 10. Wow. Yeah. She was ready but she was also really young. She was only six Mm -hmm. and she was actually even five. She was five. And she, um, she was just very optimistic and ready to, to love and to bring people into that. And, and she was kind of naive, um, And the hardest thing was not when we got our oldest, but when we got the little ones, when Mm -hmm. she was no longer the baby, that became a huge identity issue for her because it's like, but then that's normal if we were to have another baby. Mm -hmm. So we went through that process with her and, and she took it out a lot on our little three-year-old because um, there was no other girls at this point. Hmm. So that she became, not only she had to be, she was no longer the only girl, but she's now the, not the youngest anymore. Um, and so she had a lot of anger about that. And a lot of things happened, like she got some anxiety issues, but we worked through that. And, hmm. and then you think, Oh, did why did I do this to her? Cause we, but then I thought, but, who knows what would have caused that. It's Mm -hmm. kind of something I think she's going to struggle with. So it may not have been fostering and it may not have come at the age that it came, but we've been able to work through it and now she can, she handles it. Mm -hmm. Um, She handles her anxiety and, and that's just a a part of who she is. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and she loves these guys. Like she's come a long way. Um, But when there was talk of reunification um, to their biological family. Um, the kids were like, oh, the next kids that we get, can we make sure they're more our age, less younger? Like, they, they do share their thoughts. I mean, that sounds really um, interesting, but it's just because they think the babies cry a lot because that comes with neglected babies, right? They cry a lot. Their needs weren't met so when their needs start to be met consistently they become more um accustomed well they become more greedy about it right right? like they want more and more and more like you can never feed them enough food you can never give them enough love and affection uh so they cry a lot because they constantly want something that they didn't get and that need wasn't met but that's part of the healing process and then eventually when you kind of overwhelm them with their needs (laughs) They start, stop needing so much anymore.
0: Wow.
2: <laughs> yes, we have a new joined
0: member of our conversation here on the table. <laughs> Are you going to use your words?
2: Yes. He looks pretty comfortable where he is, though. Yeah. Wow. He usually does half a nap in the crib and half a nap on us. <laughs> That's, this That's a pretty good deal. That's a way better deal than the full nap in the crib, I think. Yeah. He loves lots and lots of hugs hmm. and cuddles and snuggles. Which is great sometimes. It is yeah. also, it can be draining sometimes. Of course, <laughs> yeah. But we still love them, don't we? Hi, baby. <laughs> now, just as we close,
0: you know, I know you as a person of faith. Yeah. And how how does that play a role in your um, your family
2: journey? How has it informed your faith? How have you gotten to know your God? Yeah, it's interesting So our eldest uh, rejects that, Hmm. the faith and the idea of God. He's actually going through an Alpha program right now because I said, well, I said to him, in order to make a decision, it needs to be informed. And if he says to me tomorrow, I don't want to go to church anymore, we'll make that happen for him. Like I'm very big on, um, you know, my beliefs, you know, I will support him. So he's going to an alpha program for youth, and but anyways, the point of me bringing that up and about my faith. So he was talking about just rejection and not having, you know, his family abandoning him, and um, and the whole concept of adoption and everything, and it just hit me that, you know, like the line of David, Jesus biologically doesn't connect to that he was adopted by his earthly father and accepted by a man that wasn't biologically connected to him right and that's the line to which you know he comes from right and you know you hear the Christmas story over and over and over again but that concept never stood out to me until we were talking about my faith and he made this comment about adoption. And I said, Jesus was adopted and he's like, he was, I said, yeah, cause he was not Joseph's biological son. And I said, so he knows what that's like, you know, to be separated and separated from his father at one point. Right. Yes. And I said, and and to see his face light up and to see him kind of be like i'm like that i'm like jesus and and um but even that whole concept of faith right and um just everything about our faith is about being god's we're adopted children of god and and um It's just it was just really meaningful to me because it's like we all can be like Christ. We all can accept those that, you know, haven't been accepted and we can choose to be loved by them or not. And that's our faith, too. Whether we choose to have that grace and that love from God, that is our choice. Just like they can choose to be a part of the family or not. That's their choice. And you can't reject them if they choose to not be a part of your family. You've got to work through that with them. And sometimes it takes years. Like we've had this guy in our home for almost three years. And he met with his, his counselor and she asked him to, you know, part of his trauma is, what was your first memory of being happy as a child? and he thought about it and he said the day i moved into this home and he was 10 so this child had no memory of happiness until he came to live with us right and so those are the moments that get you to those next moments because there's a lot of garbage in between there's a lot of of anger and and hate and just distrust and Anger, like anger, it keeps, it's a common theme. There's a lot of anger that comes with any form of, of being an other, mm-hmm. as they call it. He will say, our eldest will say that he is another. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, how can I help you not feel that way? Mm-hmm. He says, you can't. It's just a fact. I'm not with my family. Mm-hmm. And so I will always be another. And so... That concept is really coming out in society too with all of the kind of studies they're doing around children in care and what that long-lasting trauma looks like and how does that affect them and how do you heal that and help them become a part of a family if they don't choose it and it's chosen for them, Um, uh, you know, like they don't want to be adopted or they do or there's so many choices and they're so young. And then, oh, by the way, you're 18 and now you're done. You've got nobody. Right? Like, that's not our family. I said to him, even if you do get reunited and you are on, you know, you need a family, you'll always have us. And every 27, out of the 27, like, I mean, I think I counted it. It's like 38 or something, maybe 40 something kids I've worked with through this kind of job. Um, that I've lived with, let's say that 40 some odd kids that I've lived with through all the different programs that I've been a part of as a foster, as foster kids, as, you know, being taken from their families, I've given them all my number and said, whenever you need to, you can reach out. Now I can maybe count on one hand how many have, Mm -hmm. because again, that's that trust thing, right? So it's, it's, um... It will always be my passion.
0: And I'm very thankful. And these little ones are very thankful that it is. Yeah.
2: They get to have more than one mama. (laughs) Don't you? I can't
0: handle this little face looking back at me. I know. He's a cutie. Well, thank you for sharing your family and your story today. Yeah. And, uh... That's exciting to think about Monday. Like you were saying, your family is entering into uh, a a reunion stage, stage,
2: which is so
0: beautiful and so exciting. And so I'll be praying for you. Yeah, praying for him. And praying for him. Yeah,
2: there's a lot of healing still to be done. That's right. And I think, you know, I believe that there are kids that are not biologically connected. Like, there's a family that I know is in the process of adopting and adopting their foster children. And I just texted him last night and said, you know what, you guys were made for each other. Like, he may not be biologically connected, but the way that God has placed him in their lives and their likes are so similar Hmm. that... I think there are kids that need foster parents to help them through their journey, and there are kids that need new families, and it's workable and doable. It's hard. It's the hardest work you'll ever do, but you just keep waking up each day and clinging on to the things that you need to motivate you to get to the next good thing, right? So, anyway, that's us. That's life in a nutshell. Thanks for interviewing
1: us. Well,
2: there you have
0: it. You know, this is the first conversation that I'm recording uh, post the global pandemic of COVID-19. And, you know, I don't exactly know when this episode is going to end up airing in the course of this year, but one of the things that EDEX shared about his journey in this adoption, fostering, belonging, grafting narrative of his own life Um, really struck me as I was listening back to it weeks later. You know, he talked about his journey uh, to Canada, talked about what it's like, you know, when you are out of control. And he talked about that, you know, there's really only one choice you have to make. You know, like you can't control every detail of your life. You can only decide what you're going to do with the next day or the next moment. And so I just think for us, as we've you know been in this <laughs> together all over the world, uh, living out the real reality of like, you know, I I can't choose often what I'm dealt. Uh, But I can choose what to do with it and how to pivot and how to flex and how to be present for the life. Not that I thought I was going to live or not even the one that I maybe think I'd prefer, but the one that I have. So, you know, for all of us in whatever family situations we find ourselves in or whatever one you might find yourself in, tomorrow, five, 10, 20 years from now, you know, I I just really hope uh, that we can take that uh, piece of wisdom, really of godly wisdom, I believe, to just uh, to receive whatever it is that we've been given and to be faithful with it. Because, you know, for some of us, we'll We'll identify with Amy. You know, this has always been a part of our story. This has always been a part of our heartbeat. We, we've always wanted to do this. It's always made sense. Somehow it's always led in this direction. But I think that most of us would identify a lot more with EDEC, not really thinking about it before it's right in front of you, <laughs> but knowing that it's good, knowing that it's right. And so what do you do when you're faced with something that is good and that you know is right, but it will cost you something? Well, for those of us who know Jesus, we know that the trade of that uh, is life everlasting. And I think the other thing that will just stick with me, uh, you know, when Amy was talking about um, just the parallels between uh, our faith and the fact that we have a choice, the fact that we're not robots, but we have free will and you can't force a child to love you. I mean, I don't care where they've come from. <laughs> Maybe you're reading this uh, or listening to this and, uh, and you know that all too well. You can't force a friend or a spouse or an employer or a child to love you because then it's not love. It's just business, one exchange for another. And if there's anything that Jesus has taught me is that he does offer this gift for free and most of us in this world in the course of human history won't take it they'll turn their back on it but he gives it freely none the less so would we be people who give the gift of love freely regardless of what we get in return would that be true of us as the people of god Would that be true of us as grafted families for the glory of God, for the sake of his name? Thanks for listening in today. I hope you learned something new and felt encouraged along the way. If you are interested in hearing more, subscribe and leave a review so the content and message of this story can be found by other curious listeners. I'd also love to connect with you about any questions, to share resources, or to hear your grafting story. So send me a message. You can do that online. I'm on Instagram at Nick Fletch or nicoleashleyfletcher.com. But more than any of that, Please share this personally with anyone you know who might need to hear it. I'll be praying for you as you do. I hope to be with you again very soon. And until then, bye for now.